welcome to the Barbara Schulte Show with host Barbara Schulte and producer Ben Self. The Barbara Schulte Show brings conversations, stories, and tips intended to power up a writer's potential for more success, fun, and the confidence to write and live with grace, courage, and the grit to never give up. Hey, it's Barb, and welcome back. In this episode, I interview Chris and Sarah Dawson, who are fun and two powerhouses in the rain cow horse world. I love how they work together in their training business. And I think you'll learn some great tips for how to get yourself and your horse ready for competition or for any special event. And to learn more about them, check out their bios in the episode description. Well, welcome, you guys. I'm so glad that you're here. You're very welcome. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're... This is an audio. (laughs) It's an audio kind of format, darling. So you have to... I thought you had us both handled. No, no. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, thanks for having the both of us. You're welcome. You're welcome. So this is a treat for me, you guys. It's a really big treat for me. Well, it's a treat for us. Yeah. No, we're excited. I don't even know what we're doing, but I'm excited. Okay, good. Well, first of all, I want to talk to you about your little girl. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Not so little anymore. Yeah. yeah she's, she's getting big. Almost walking. We're close uh-huh. to walking. So, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. How old is she? 15 months. Just uh-huh. got her, her shots, what, three days ago? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. still got the little sore spots on her thighs. Yeah. But, no, she's, she's so great. So how do you guys handle that? How do you have a little one that's barely walking? And- Chris stays home. I go to work. <laughs> That would, I told her, I volunteered for that position, and now uh, we haven't done it. We have a great, great grandmother with Cheryl, and she looks after her so much. She's fantastic. We would uh, we'd be, be in a rough spot if it wasn't for Grandma, but then we also have um, one of the guys that work for us. His wife uh, will do quite a bit of it, too, when my mom's not available. Uh-huh. So uh, it definitely takes a village. Mm-hmm. Well, how long did you ride when you were pregnant? I don't know if it's responsible to disclose this information. <laughs> My doctor would not approve. I, I rode up to just about a few days before. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we, we kept at it. Um, and, and I'm glad I did, looking back on it, because I think it helped me come back faster. Um, and, I mean, not that I was doing it. Not, wasn't climbing on 15 horses a day, but mm-hmm. I was doing a little something every day till till the end. Mm-hmm. I did a similar thing when I was pregnant with our son. Mm-hmm. The only problem was at about six months, the two-year-old went over backwards. Yeah, that's not good. You know, no. I just saw the horn coming at me, and I was so grateful, you know, that she went to the side right at the last yeah. minute, and I stopped riding. That that really it's pretty good. out, right? Yep. Yeah, puts things in perspective right there. Yes, mm-hmm. it does. It sure does. So, are you going? So, tell me your name again, Sarah. <laughs> no, not your name. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm like short memories around here. <laughs> That'd be Hadley Grace. Oh my God. No, your daughter. That's so funny. <laughs> oh my God. That introduction, introductions around Sarah, Chris, Barbara, Ben. Here we are. <laughs> so, are you guys going to encourage her to train horses? No. That's a big negative. No, she loves to ride, though, so I think we're in trouble. But um, 
No, uh-huh. I'd, I'd like her to be maybe a, maybe a doctor, a lawyer, <laughs> something. Techie. Techie. So yeah. she can support you guys later. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> maybe she can do to podcast and be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like young Ben here. There you go. <laughs> Hand model. Oh, my gosh. So how did you guys meet? I want, I want to know all about you two. <laughs> what? Get after it. This is your... I'm, I'm serious. I'm going to push this mic away. We met through horse shows a long time ago. We've been married for what? We were just talking about this. Almost seven years. It'll be seven years in November. Um, dated for a few months. But, uh, but no, we've known each other a long, long time. But he was an idiot back <laughs> in the day. So it took a while. What do you mean by idiot? He had to do some growing up. I had to do some growing up. And now here we are. Yeah. Now yeah, just... no, I tell, all, I tell our youth kids, like, guys are not worth anything until they're at least 30. Like, <laughs> at least. Is that, that what you're going to tell did? your little girl? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. He told me he was going to be dead at 35, though, and he's still, still trucking along. So I'm just waiting for him to kill over here. <laughs> now, I love him dearly. He's awesome. <laughs> He's peanut butter to my jelly. Oh, what a sweet thing to say. Literally. Literally. (laughs) Chris, I don't know that much about your background. I know a bit about Sarah's, but I don't know that much about your background. Yeah, third generation horse trainer. Yeah, grew up in the Appaloosa deal. Mom trained a bunch of them. Dad trained a bunch of them. And yeah, no, that was kind of it. And found the cow horse right out of shortly after high school and went to work for Crawford. Yep, did f- four years there, four years at Carroll's, and then started my own business. Uh-huh. Yep. So did, did you guys start your own business together? Now, you mean? No, 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 N- no. before. No, this was been in 08. Uh-huh. Yeah, in 08, we start, yeah. I started Dawson Performance Horses in 08, and then Sarah came on board in 14. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, okay. And then, Sarah, your backgrounds as a cult was at... As cold starting, right? Yeah, well, because my dad, he did like the clinician um, deal and he started a, a tremendous amount of cults too. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I grew up in, not necessarily a lot of the horse show scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I started showing cow horses in the youth when I was oh, a sophomore in high school. Um, and so that's kind of what kick started it all for me. But, uh, but yeah, in my early, early days, I spent a lot of time with my parents on the road and we would, we would go and do the clinics and um, and then, yeah, he did, did a ton of cold starting as well. So um, I worked for some trainers, and then after that, before we got married, I would do some, some cold starting contracts um, and, and did that for, for a few different places right before we got married, and that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that I'd want to be doing that now, but, uh, but it was fun while, mm-hmm. while I was doing it. Did you enjoy doing Road to the Horse? Yeah, you know, it was a great experience. Um, it's it's different, you know, it, it's, it's a lot, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely glad to, to have gone through that experience uh-huh. and, and to have done it, so uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's a neat event, they put on quite a show. No kidding, I don't know if I'd want to be out there, so. It's a lot, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. You have to really balance that staying focused and what you can do and what you can't do. It is, I'm yeah, sure. no, that, that time frame that you got, uh, it, uh, you, you, Got to prioritize mm-hmm. what you are doing for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to hear about your business now. It's fascinating to me that you guys train together. And when I spoke to Sarah before, um, I started to kid about couples being 
together, you know, because my husband and I work together, and Sarah goes, no, we're great together. So I love that. I want to hear more about that. She lies. That's all. She <laughs> lies. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's, it, it was darn sure a learning curve, though. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been what it is, and it still is. You know, I mean, you could, I, I think we both have to put a lot of effort into it every day. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, I mean, you know, picking and choosing, and like saying it's because it's great to ride, go ride with your friends, right, and get that extra set of eyes and get their opinion about mm-hmm. what your horse looks like, mm-hmm. and that's awesome because you haul over there and you do it maybe every few weeks. Well, we're together every day. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, if she wants my opinion on something, she'll ask. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. A lot of times, you know, and I have a harder time. She usually is trying to get me to shut up, and I'm trying to get her to say something. That's usually <laughs> how it works. And so, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it, we, I feel like we balance it out pretty good. Yeah, and I think we talked about this in our previous conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think why it works so well with us is because we have a genuine appreciation and respect for what each other bring to the table. I mean, we don't train exactly the same. There are a lot of similarities, but there's differences mm-hmm. too. And I, I think it works because we we have a genuine respect for each other mm-hmm. and, and how mm-hmm. we each train horses. And there's another, never that underlying tone of saying something but meaning something else. Or it's um, So I think that... Uh, that really saves and protects us there. That's awesome. Do you guys know how rare that is? We have a pretty good idea. Pretty good idea. Pretty yeah. good idea. <laughs> uh-huh. The, you know, we had a few years ago, we traded. We had a couple horses that we weren't getting along with so good. And I think both of us thought that this was going to be like, man, you're just missing that spot right there. This is going to be an easy fix. And we swapped <laughs> horses and... I think we both found out we were both a lot better horse trainers than we were giving each other credit for. <laughs> and so that's really the only time that's really happened that I can, I mean, and like yeah. saying, it was like, oh, so yeah, this was, yeah, all right. You know, I mean, like say, because it was both of them, it seemed like there was just a little thing that was missing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope, it was pretty big spots. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. So. Well, I also think it's fascinating about how you take the two-year-olds and you have a draw. I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah. Okay, like, do you have a draw party? Do you, how do you do it? We call it the draft. It generally happens after, it'd be the end of their two-year-old year after the futurity um, is when we generally do it. But, yeah, we just switch on and off each year as to who gets to pick the first one. Um, and then we just go back and forth. He'll pick one, I'll pick one. Do you guys go, oh, man. All the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hearts are broken on that day. <laughs> <laughs> we have to give credit to the Hansmas. Yeah, Hansmas is Winston told me that that's what they did and it worked really well. Mm-hmm. Him and when him and Paul were working together. Oh, uh huh. Yep. And so that's kind of where that idea came from. Huh. And it's it's worked pretty well. Yeah. No, it it does work well, um, especially if you've got like those those three or four great ones and then your middle tier and your bottom tier you can kind of divvy them up pretty evenly mm-hmm. um it it sucks if there's only one really good one but, <laughs> but we try to keep a few of them around and so we're, we're each each mounted but as yeah. you know that gets trickier and trickier every year finding those horses it's it's uh, hard it's so hard yeah. there's a it's lot of a- horsepower out there 
It's a lot of horsepower and the, you know, the soundness and, you know, just for have it all to come together. It's, yeah, they're hard to find. Mm-hmm. Hard to get people to let go of them when you find them too. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier about cutting and rain cow horse and just how such respect for what you guys do with three events. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's a little masochistic, really. How do you just take us through? Because a lot of the people listening will not, maybe are not that familiar with Rain Cow Horse. And also, just, well, the three events, as well as what training, like, are the horses like you work cow in the morning? Do you put them up? Then you work raining in the afternoon. Like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we do have the three events, like the, the cutting and the raining, mm-hmm. and then our specialty event would be down the fence. And I would say we work cows way more than we would just rain, just because we have two events with the cows, and I think we can get a lot of our raining training done while taking cows down the fence, too. It was, oh, that's really interesting. Where, yeah, where a lot of our raining training will, will actually happen. It seems like if it's dry, because we have an outdoor pen and an indoor cutting pen, if it's dry, we're outside um, because we don't know how long we'll be able to be out there, especially with this crazy Texas rain we get. Um, so we're either usually just running them down the fence or raining around. Um, but, yeah, I would say on any given week, we'll work cows four days a week mm-hmm. on them. So, when you, so a couple things. I want to know about when you say work cows, you know, exactly what you mean. But also I want to understand about how going down the fence helps the raining. <laughs> I got the nod So there. Sarah just punched Chris. <laughs> it was like, like a... It was a love punch. It was a, it was a love punch. It's like cueing a machine. Yeah. Press play. Press play. <laughs> so we'll, you know, going down the fence, we'll spend a lot of time rating them cattle down the fence and just galloping along. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, anytime you're we're inside that cow or anywhere in the pen, we'll ask them to stop, and it gives them a job to do. And I mean, I've had a few rainers and showed some there, and I feel like it. You can teach them those maneuvers so much faster doing that job. Mm-hmm. You know, and then shoot, you'll be circling and change the lead, and you know, oh, yeah. stop, spin around, lope back off. You know, I probably we probably don't work a lot of lead departures on a cow, but. Um, but really, everything else, I mean, large, fast, small, slow circle, go circle a cow. I mean, you're going to get that done, mm-hmm. you know. So as long as you can steer them everywhere, I mean, that's kind of our biggest deal is steering, stopping, rating, you know, trying to keep those three pillars of the, you know, anything mm-hmm. that we add to that, we just try and make sure we don't violate those three things. And it kind of, it gets me. There's a lot of people that talk about the three events contradicting, and I'm not going to say there's not some stuff that contradicts, but it only contradicts if you make it. Mm-hmm. you know in my opinion and mm-hmm. so like say that's that's what murph always told me was the kind of the, the goal of this deal was to try and find you know build a program that blends the three in such a way that you're not contradicting yourself mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't seem like there's much any contradiction it's just so much information that you're needing them to obtain yeah. to get to the futurity it's just they're having to learn three events and not that those three events are contradictory it's just three events that mm-hmm. you're having mm-hmm. to teach them. So. Yeah, it takes a lot of riding. Yeah. So do you do you ride them more than once a day, or do you just do you you just design mm-hmm. when you ride them for what you want to do with that? Yeah, horse? they generally just get worked once a day. 
Um, but like we were just saying, you need to get everything to relate. And so even though we might go be going down the fence today, we need it to be relatable to the rain work, you know, or we might be cutting, but we need it to be relatable to these other two events mm -hmm. too. And so it's just, it's all got to meld together. Otherwise you, you wouldn't have enough time. So how do you, from a, a cutting horse perspective, how do you separate the work in the cow and, you know, staying back, putting your hand down as much as possible with going forward? And I know you just box a little bit and then you go down the fence. You just make it clearly two different things. Well, I mean, really, uh, I worked in horses the same mm -hmm. pretty much all the time. I mean, on a cow, if I'm working a cow, I'm working them the same way whether I'm going down the fence or cutting, you know, even if I'm circling a cow, I'm still just going wherever that cow is. It's just really, it's just an extreme up angle is all is the way I treat a circle when I'm circling that cow. Mm -hmm. And so same thing down the fence. I mean, shoot, I just, we just watched this set right here and a bunch of guys walked out there to a cow, you know, and walked forward and drove it up there to wherever they wanted it and then stepped back and let it come to them. Mm -hmm. And if they needed to step back up to it and push it away, they could, they could do that mm -hmm. and they can do that with their hand down. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a little more extreme, but it's mm -hmm. all the same. Like, that's what, that's what I mean. I don't really understand where people think that it's that much different. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. like I say, because very seldom at home are we going to just, like, go kick outside the, a cow and whoop in front of them. You know, I mean, you see that stuff at the Snaffle Bit Finals and the World's Greatest Finals. And, you know, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like watching these 5-6 finals right here. Well, these guys aren't working those horses like that at home every day, mm -hmm. right? And they're not kicking outside that cow. I mean, you ain't seeing Hammer open up like that and kick that rascal clear, you know, as far out there uh -huh, as he can get him. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You know, it's finals day, and they're trying to open it up and get it on. And so it's kind of the same thing at home. I mean, people see us do that, and they're like, well, that fence work, that's crazy. That'll ruin a cutting horse. You'd be shocked. I mean, I know I go on the fence on everything. Like, I don't know. I feel like it helps all of them. That's so interesting to me. That's cool. I think you have a little more wild in your blood going down the fence. I think it's, it looks fun. It's much more controlled than a person would think it was just because if you lose that control, then it just gets borderline dangerous. Mm -hmm. But um, I, think, I think a person would be shocked to realize how controlled those horses actually are. And I, you see them in the show pen, and it looks wild and fast, but that's 60, 90 seconds of, of showing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like there's a, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that happens outside of the pen that's slow and meticulous and methodical, preparing for that 90 seconds of, of mm -hmm. fast and what looks out of control in there. But, uh, but no, those, it's, I think it's a lot more in control than what it appears. Mm -hmm. It's funny, when I ride with cutters, I know I spent a fair bit of time with Spud Sheehan, the last few years and i'd go over there and he'd tell me he'd be like hey slow down ray slow down we're cutting and then he'd come over and go down the fence i'm like hey you gotta slow down mate you gotta i mean we just travel right just right across here i'm like how weird is it that we tell or telling each other the exact same thing just <laughs> in, in a different arena and we're both like struggling to grasp what's being said and it's exactly the same thing you're telling me to do over there mike but this is cutting dude we gotta do we gotta rip and do this and he's like well this is going out the fence we gotta run like everybody just needs to chill out and work a darn cow for a minute all right like it's not that big a deal uh-huh uh-huh well i think that everybody when they um 
don't know something, they get a little faster, right? Mm -hmm. Like they speed up just in general. Yeah, I know that's something that I've really struggled with as I've been dabbling with the cutting fraternity horses is like on my snaffle bitters, Sarah's the same way. She'll take, you're comfortable just getting that little bit of improvement today, you know, and knowing that that component is better and just working on the component of your fraternity horse, not thinking that it has to get put together and do a whole show routine, you know, whether it's February of its three-year-old year, whether it's August of its three-year-old year, it's fine. You know, you just keep putting the pieces together where these cutting fraternity horses that I've been trying to train, Mike, what's well, June? And you only have to know one event. Why aren't you doing it right? <laughs> and so then I'll end up overworking them. And then I get, and then I end up having to go back and, you know, after I overcook the grits, I got to go figure out how to cool them back off. <laughs> and then, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I think this is my first year with my cutting horses that I haven't felt like I'm in that kind of a bind mm-hmm. this time of year. But like I say, but being new to it, like say you just want, you don't trust the program. Mm-hmm. You want to see the big change and you expect them horses, you know, you just mm-hmm. don't trust what you're doing enough just to trust that, that component's getting better every day. Mm-hmm. Well, and it takes so much experience for the horses, right? They have to be in all kinds of different situations, mm-hmm. too, no matter what the event is. Talk about how you guys get mentally prepared for your different events and, and how you do that. I think we're very yeah, different. You guys, it's so cute. You, you know, every time I ask a question, one bumps the other one. <laughs> yeah, um, like if we're at a big event I like to be like in a quiet space where he's more like he likes to be kind of like out in the middle and watching at the back gate and then um but like me yeah I'll I'll find a little quiet spot by our stalls and just chill and then mm-hmm. when I need to go get on my horse I go get on my horse but mm-hmm. yeah I'm more mm-hmm. of a, a quiet quiet person when it comes to that uh-huh nobody to guess that <laughs> You're really dropping bombs on here today, Don. <laughs> and when you are in your quiet space, are you just relaxing? Are you thinking about your run? What do you do? No, no. I try not to focus on my runs too much. Yeah, I, I don't really go over them in my head or think about them. I just kind of, the, the, the less I can think about it for me, the better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I try to just... I'm really not doing anything of any importance. I'm just over there by my lonesome. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Busting no. burp bubbles. Yeah, probably just playing a game on my cell phone. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And Chris, what do you do? Well, I tell you, I don't think I focus on those runs a whole lot. I mean, I do some things like immediately before I show, like I really focus on my pattern. And people make fun of me, but I'm always like I'll visually do it with my finger, like sitting at the back gate. You know, I want to know where I'm going to be in that pen. And I'm making, if I don't do it, it just, it'll freak me out a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, and they'll laugh because we might be at a weekend show and I might've showed six or eight horses and I'm on the seventh or eighth horse and I'm out there drawing my little pattern with my finger and they're like, what are you doing? You've run this, Mike. I'm doing me, you do you. I, uh-huh. I'm, I'm over here, you uh-huh. know? And uh-huh. so I do that. You know, I really try and like say pre-show, like right before we show, like I want to get real aware of my extremities. I do some breathing stuff. I make sure I know where the tips of my fingers are and the tips of my toes are at. And if I don't know them, I don't go in. And I don't know. It's just some stuff that I've learned. Have you ever missed your turn? (laughs) 
You said you don't go in if you can't find them. Have you ever missed your turn? Well, <laughs> it's come close. It's come close. Oh. Yeah, it's hard when it's cold. It's hard to feel them toes when it's cold. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I find it kind of interesting. I don't know if you would have any light to shed on this being a mental coach, but I'll find if I am super relaxed and comfortable and confident going in there, I will give an average performance. But if I am more like on edge about going in there, it'll be a lot better. And hmm. I, I always thought that was kind of strange. Uh-huh. But uh, I, don't, I don't know if that has anything to do with some weird mental <laughs> coach deal. But uh, Well, there's, a, there's, an, there's an energy that you want to feel that's a combination of being really calm but really engaged and really energized. And so that happens in different ways for different people. Some people, they have to come down mm-hmm. to get there, to get focused. Other people, like if you, if you seem to be really like the I'm calm type. Extremely stoic, yes. Yeah, it's so that adding that energy or just feeling that is where that takes you to that place that's maybe just so. right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe so. In fact, that's one of the things of, of training mental skills or train is the the awareness of where that energy is and knowing where you are at the time and then figuring out how you want to get how, how we need to get to this other place how, how, yeah. how you need to get to where you want to be because right. sometimes you might be too hyped other times you might be too low by low i mean low energy mm-hmm. and so an awareness of where that place is for your optimal performance is really important yep and it's important because it also has to do with your body. You know, our mind and our body and our emotions are all connected. So if we don't get that place right, we're either like too loose and not mentally engaged or we're too tight, you know, too grippy and too fast with mm-hmm. our hands and all that. So Yeah, those days that it all's just right, they're pretty cool. Uh-huh. You know, I yeah. mean, like you trend, I think a guy tries to recreate that and kind of get to that flow state. But I don't know. I don't know that you always get there. But, I mean, like I say, you just kind of do your best to get as close as you can. Actually, as you learn the tools of you know, the thinking and, and, the, um, and what you do with your body and just what you were talking about, Chris, with that pre-ride ritual withdrawing. Not withdrawing. Withdrawing. Sure, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, that gets you there. I mean, it, yes, it's going over the pattern, but it's also putting you in that place where you really feel connected to the pattern and connected to your horse and connected to yourself. So that's really, really, really important. In fact, um, my mentor, Dr. Lair, like on the very first day that I trained with him, it said that you know, the pre-event ritual was like the most, was one of the most important things that you could do. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not in that state before you go in, then it's really hard to get there. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in a run, you have to be calm. You have to bring your energy up. Like, it's just raining and the energy of the circles and all that. You have to bring it up, bring it down. Mm-hmm. Not being a rainer, I'm just watching. Right. But, um, and so entering the arena in that state is important. So for Sarah to be quiet and then do whatever you do right before you go in is works for her and is very important to do and what you do is important for you do you do anything right before like right before you go in because you're talking about you go get quiet mm-hmm. i mean like mm-hmm. an hour or two hours before you show yeah no right before i go in 
I'll do kind of like deep breathing exercises. I for, I for sure will do that. I found myself doing that these past few years. But other than that, yeah, I don't do the wiggle toes, wiggle fingers. What, what kind of deep breathing exercises are they? You know, I, I wouldn't say that they're, they're super um, in-depth. You know, it, it can change from time to time. Just breathe in, breathe out, deep breaths in, deep breaths out can always remember as I'm doing it I can't remember if I'm supposed to breathe out through my nose or breathe out through my mouth on it so I always kind of just experiment with different ways yeah it works for me perfect so you focus on your breathing is what I'm picking up there (laughs) Chris you are so quick like a single like a single point (laughs) a single point meditation pretty simple (laughs) um I love simplicity about everything one thing that's cool is that you can, you know, just keep that simplicity. Actually, I heard this two different from two different people at, around the same time. If you pretend like you inhale through your legs, I know that sounds weird, hmm. and then you exhale down through your core and through your legs, um, it really grounds you in the saddle. It sounds odd, but um, it just makes you a lot more aware of your lower extremities. Yeah, interesting. So what about your horses? How do you get them ready? I would say it really differs from horse to horse. Like um, like in the rain work, some horses I like to get on a few hours before and then give them a ride and put them away and then just put a little lope on them and go show them. Other horses I like to be on them a while before I show, mm-hmm. and that'll be their only work for the day, but I'm, I'm on them for mm-hmm. a hot minute before I show them in the rain work. Um, and so it, it really just depends what what that particular horse uh, does mm-hmm. best with as, as far as the rain work goes. And our fence work preparation is real simple. I mean, we might practice pen them earlier in the day, but before we fence work, we'll just get on them 30 minutes before, go gallop them around for a sec and go show them. Because you need all their air right you need every ounce of energy that they have yep yep you need quite a bit of air we we might work like what we call an air cow on them is like we kind of imitate what a cow might do down the fence go Mm -hmm. catch us a stop at a pretty good rate of speed go go circle pretend like we're circling a cow or something like that um and so that might be our fence work preparation and the herd work probably very similar to what you guys do i mean we got our practice pen two sets before um, and so kind of what we need, if we think that horse needs practice pen, we'll go do that. Otherwise, we'll just flag it. Kind of kind of depends what we mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. that horse needs. Mm-hmm. What about you, Chris? What do you do with your horses? Well, no, yeah, the same. I mean, like uh-huh. say, we, it's all pretty horse-specific. Mm-hmm. I think some generalizations would be that I spend a lot of time jogging, like for every event, uh, you know, and especially some of them hotter ones. I'll jog them quite so a why bit. So why do you jog them? I feel like I can jog them around. I usually usually feel like I can get one's brain to me a little faster mm-hmm. jogging. Where a lot of times, if I go long trot one around, now there's the exceptions, you know, and like we play with it, you know, that's why we go all the pre works and pre fraternities and everything else and try and figure it out because some of them will surprise you. But a lot of those mares, especially, you go long trot them and it kind of they almost get up on you. And mm-hmm. You can't. I mean, you better pack a lunch if you think you're going to long trot this one down, you know. <laughs> and uh, I don't. I don't like to go in circles that long. And so, yeah. you know, I mean, I can almost get one ready. Like if I have to, it'll walk or a jog easier than I can mm-hmm. at a lope. Mm-hmm. It seems like if I take the bait and I get to loping, especially if I'm trying to lope them, I mean, if I'm in a bind and something, 
I can think of a couple occasions when I've been loping around and just felt like my horse was on the gain somewhere, just gaining all the time. I either need to abort the lope or I just need to like put my hand out and go to steering and like, shoot, you want to go fast? Let's go. Let's get up here and let's just go run some large fast circles and get it on Mm -hmm. and not me be trying to, you know, keep you from going where you want to go and just getting in a wrestling match, you know, and I see that happen a lot. And I know that it's an easy trap to fall into. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty careful about, I try to be pretty careful about not getting myself into those situations and not getting baited in to, uh, yeah, getting in a wrestling match before a horse show. Yeah, that's a tricky thing, right? If you don't have a good practice, a good preparation, and you have to go into the show ring. Yeah, no, that's... uh... That's so then what tricky. do you so then what do you do that's when you fake it till you make it right there that's <laughs> that's where the bravado comes in no i think a person has to be super careful for that reason especially before the rain work to not get greedy in that practice pen because you will mess a whole lot of stuff up that you're not going to have time to fix mm-hmm. um and so you kind of just got to make friends with them in that last little ride mm-hmm. before you go show up in that rain work because mm-hmm. there, there'll be stuff you can't come back from and Mm-hmm. the time of time that you have allowed mm-hmm. i know i've had people over the years make several comments to me that they were shocked that i got through the rain work <laughs> after watching my pre- preparation the night before or even immediately uh-huh. before uh-huh. and well, nobody was paying me to be good the night before uh-huh. you know uh-huh. so uh-huh. <laughs> i mean so I think it's just careful, you know, like saying, it's just a matter of the confidence of knowing what components you're trying to work on. Mm-hmm. You know, I see a lot of people, they run and stop them things and run, stop them things and run, stop them things. And I mean, it's night before the horse show. I'm like, dude, if that rascal don't stop now, he ain't going to. I mm-hmm. mean, you better just keep him liking it and let's go try and get the money tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But, and that's hard because it's like you want to give yourself confidence that the maneuver's there, but like. I've had horses that you can't go stop them in the practice pen because it just brings their emotions up too much. And so you got to just kind of gallop some straight lines on them and hope they're going to stop when you go in the show pen because you know it's just going to get worse and deteriorate the more you stop them in the practice pen. But, yeah, those are the the hard kind that you can't really go test the water before you go in there. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people want perfect perfection for their own confidence. Oh, yeah. No, that's... Before they go in Mm -hmm. and then they they overdo it if they're not connected to their horse's needs you know like the horse that whole idea of being in that place that very special place is the same for horses i think as it is for people Mm -hmm. and that's what we really because we don't want a horse to be under engaged or or disengaged we don't want them to be hyper we don't want them to be exhausted i mean they're Mm -hmm. just really like us that way yeah no i try to catch them and quit right before the next great one say the, the be right before the next great turnaround or right before the next great stop and because i want to save that for the show pen like i don't want to work them until i feel that because then i feel like i've just used it up boy that takes a lot of discipline Sarah. yeah no it's 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 hard but i mean you watch the, like the good trainers and the guys that are winning that's what they do too i mean they're not using it up in the right. practice pen right yeah, the guy, I, and I tell you, I learned this lesson at those, going to those rainings, because I'd go, and I mean, I ruined a lot of them and messed up a lot of preparations by getting out there and seeing what everybody else was doing. Like, man, this guy's doing this, and it's going at this speed, and it's, my horse, going, I don't think I can go that Maybe I ought to try. <laughs> I don't know. That's more than I got in my bag right there. And, and as I learned to be like, 
oh, well, I'm playing my game today. It's fine, whatever. And then it's shocking when you start really watching that, how many of those guys that you were like, that looks awesome. I'm not sure who that guy is, but that horse is wicked. And then you see them sitting in the stands watching them final. While you're showing in them, and you didn't have as much, you didn't feel like you thought that guy was going to whip your tail watching them in the warm up pen. Mm-hmm. You know, but you see that a lot. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. And, and that probably that you just reminded me is for, for my preparation personally, um, like especially for the rain work, like I don't school very good if I'm in an arena full of people. And I think that's why, because I'm comparing my horse to everybody else's horse. And then I start thinking, oh, I got to get to doing that and so like even if I can't school them in the show arena I'll go somewhere where it's quiet and where I just have to worry about me and my horse mm-hmm. and I don't have to worry about what everyone else is doing now you sound like Todd Crawford that's a good guy to sound like that's why you always find you two off some secluded corner <laughs> yeah me, me and Todd will just be in our own little arena uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah I think just because yeah, I'll just get to watching everybody else and so they're running their horses down 20 times I better do that too and yeah, so I, I like to be more secluded personally. That's, that's really wise not to compare your, or for any of us to compare ourselves to other people about anything. You know, there's really the, no comparison. I mean, we all, we should have our own program, our own horse. In fact, when I went to um, Florida the first time, besides the rituals, Dr. Lair said, if you compare yourself to other people, you might as well shoot yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. And I've never really forgotten that because he said when you go in you know and he was the coach of olympic and professional athletes he said if you get ready to go in you have to get yourself ready and you have to go in and do a job and that's your job and to me i think we have to get ourselves ready we have to get our horse ready and then we have to go in and do our job and so if we're distracted by other people by what we think we're less than or we're not doing what they're doing Mm -hmm. then we're like it'll mess you up it's yeah you're not focused on your own Mm -hmm. job yep you'll be more the expert than i am about this but that's what i that's where i start talking about ego and that ego is what gets you you know because that ego and you say ego and people think about being arrogant and this and that but for me ego is that little guy that tells you you're not as good as that guy or you know more so than it is to be an arrogant to what you're doing but anytime you're concerned about what somebody else is thinking about how you're working your horse, and that for me is the biggest enemy, and that's the biggest challenge in this whole deal. And like I say, being able to go to town and play your game the way you prepared your horse and the way you've trained him to come to town, and you know, and so like I say, that's the big one for me. And I'd like to hear your take on some of that ego. Well, Thought. talking about the, the voice that's saying, you know, you're not good enough or you're not, you're, you know, you're not there or, you know, whatever that little creepy voice is saying. Um, I don't know if you all are familiar with Brene Brown, mm-hmm. um, but she, you know, talks about, I forget, there are like three kinds of voices and they're sitting in the stands and there's, you know, but they're actually the voices inside of your head. Then there's another writer that talks about, uh, recognizing it, that voice and calling it a little creep and grabbing it by the throat and doing a little visualization where you like set it down and say, get out of here kind of a thing. But I think that the more that we find 
that place where we can get prepared, just like you know each of you are doing in your own way. That f and also just the day of the competition is such an important. The whole day is, you know, as far as like when you do the practice thing, you know, when your horse goes to the stall to take a pee or you know whatever it is, so that you're building to that moment where the two of you walk into the arena, and that's uniquely yours. So that doesn't have anything to do with the other person. You know, you mean the practice pen, you might watch someone that you admire about a training technique or something, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to try it that day, and it doesn't have anything to do really with your horse. All of the time to, to gain our confidence about what we're doing is really at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sarah thought I was a little crazy. I went to Corey Cushing's house right before the Derby. She was like, you sure you want to go out there right before the Derby? I'm like, Wait, when else am I going to go? She's like, I was like, don't worry, I'm not going to abort mission and change the program here two days before the horse show. I just want to go hang out with my friend and work some horses. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's just where our different personalities come in. I, I would go there and just like lose confidence in everything I'm doing and think I need to do everything Corey's doing where he can go and he can just, yeah, continue his little program and, you know. Just different personalities. Yeah, you know what's interesting is, you know, more introverted person, which actually I am. I'm a more quiet kind of person. Sarah, I think you are too. We get more introverted people get their energy and their focus from being quiet. Mm -hmm. More extroverted people get a lot of their energy. Not that you have to be, you know, from other people, but, you know, you, you want to expend energy that's where you get your energy back and so i think that's really really very interesting yeah 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 definitely because if i get if i get stuck by myself somewhere man i'll go to sleep <laughs> like i mean uh -huh. you sit me down in a dark quiet room and i'm out right? yeah. like <laughs> energy's gone well what do you guys think when you watch the people who are consistently you know near the top what do you think separates competitors I think it's a big mental game. I really think that's a, a huge part of it. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of amazing horse trainers out there that maybe aren't the best showmen. Um, and so it's like you've almost got to have both. You've got to be able to train horses, and then you've also got to be mm -hmm. able to go and perform on them. And it's, um, yeah, to, to have both is is tricky. I mean, those those guys that are on the top, I mean, we're, we're out there doing it every day just and put yourself on that list i sure you? will yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no shame there yeah. <laughs> I well, just, uh, we we put an incredible amount of work into it and uh and nowadays it's like you you can't just be a good horse trainer you got to find those great horses because there's so many great horses mm -hmm. and um yeah you you got to you got to be riding a good horse too and so that's what separates a lot of people too because i can think of a few trainers that i would hate to try to beat them if they were on better horse flesh but for some reason or another they're they just can't find the horse flesh but they are amazing horse trainers and really good showmen but you look at it and you're like wow that is an average animal that he is on um so yeah it just it takes that horsepower so what do you think makes a good showman a showwoman I think a lot of it would have to do with experiences that you have in the show pen and what builds your confidence and what takes your confidence away. And I think that's also a roller coaster in itself. I mean, 
I, I think uh, your confidence can be shattered just as quick as, uh, as you gain it or quicker. But, um, but yeah, I honestly think that I like to think that it can be a learned mentality that you can learn and acquire those skills. You don't have to be born with them, although some people are and probably speed coasters that ride right along. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of those experiences in the show pen kind of mold you into a, a showman. Mm-hmm. What do you think? No, I absolutely. I think in one word, it's confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the common denominator, you know. I mean, you don't see anybody that's out there winning that's not confident in it, mm-hmm. you know, in any event. Mm-hmm. And like I say, if you're if you're not confident, that's where you have to fake it until you get, you mm-hmm. know, because you can't really truly be confident until you've done enough work to know that you can handle whatever's going to get thrown at, at you when you get in mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have until, but until you build that experience, you you got to find a way to, you know, to, you know, just ride that bravado train and roll on. You know? Well, ab- absolutely. It's a lot about, you know, acting confident on the outside. In fact, Sarah, your run on Shiny Outlaw, when, is his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When in the Hackmore, when you had a yep, second the cow. World yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Um, it's one of my favorite runs to show the acting part because one of the things when you were talking about or what you were talking about training, you would like to think that you can train those skills. That's absolutely like if I could have a neon sign, that's the big deal. We don't typically it's not taught in school. And a lot of times we get the wrong messages from, mm-hmm. you know, our friends or, our, you know, whomever are, are growing up or some of the wrong messages, which become the voices in your head, like maybe a voice that says, you know, you're pretty good at home, but you're not so hot in the show, you know, that kind of thing. And so there are things that you can learn, tools you can learn to say to yourself and things you can do with your body. And the acting part of when you enter the arena and where your eyes are and just, you know, your shoulders back and your you know, your chin up and just that look that no matter what, I'm still have this look Mm -hmm. because of the connection of your body to your emotions. It keeps your emotions there. It all works together. Anyway, it's a really excellent, um, that run is one of my favorite ones to show the acting skills. Mm -hmm. Like just a little thing like your eyes dropping down. Oh man. Yeah. You're, I don't know that you realize it in the arena, but like after you watch your videos, if your body language isn't there, like you're just telling yourself to the judges, you know, it's like you've got to, even if your horse stops terribly, you got to keep your chin up and say, I meant to stop him like that, you know? That's yeah, what, exactly. What I, I wanted to do. Wasn't that a great stop? <laughs> yeah. yeah like Maureen O'Hara and McClintock, it. nobody gave me this black eye. I wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, that's a, that's a huge part of it is uh-huh. just a being confident when you go in there and when things don't go right in the middle of the run not letting your body language droop to that level Mm -hmm. just keep showing yeah absolutely that's a huge thing we talk to with our assistants Mm -hmm. when they show i mean a they'll go in there and kind of be in training mode like hey like you need to practice being in show mode at home yep until that's a learned habit Mm -hmm. because you keep loping around here and staring at that rascal's head you're going to go in that show pen and do exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Especially if they feel a little bubble, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, a little, oh. little bubble. Yeah. Yep. yep. For sure. 
Well, and I think that's it too. I think so many people think that the horses that when they look at people like Sarah and myself and other people that are consistently doing well, like them horses must feel awesome. They just feel awesome all the time. <laughs> I don't think I've ever shown one that felt good. Uh-huh. I mean, really, I wouldn't know what to do if I did. Well, I have. I have. I take that back because I caught, rode a whole slew of horses for Sarah when she went to the road to the horse. And I was like, these are the brokest horses I've ever shown in my life. Like, this is unbelievable. But, no, it's so true. Like, especially non-pros, it's like they're expecting it to feel perfect going around there. And it's, it's not going to feel that way. You're going to either be feeling on the verge of running off or your horse is leaning left and right and to be able to acquire the skills to show through that and not let the judge know that's happening is, uh, is the ticket to the whole horse show deal, in my opinion. Yes. Well, and actually, we can all feel a horse better if our eyes are up and we're breathing and we are connected to our seat. We feel a horse moving underneath and we can feel a horse against our legs. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's how you make the micro moves yep. is to make those adjustments. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in that just right relaxed physical body your eyes up you can't make those like little mini adjustments until they're too big when when you're teaching someone to to ride your horses what what's important to you that they do as foundation riding skill have you ever seen that movie i can't remember what it's called (laughs) there's this guy he's trying to give surf lessons to to someone and he says, stand up on the surfboard. Don't stand up that fast. Now lay down, but not that fast. You're doing it all wrong. No, you're doing it all right. It's kind of what I feel like when I'm giving a lesson. <laughs> everything just contradicts everything. Chris is the lesson giver in our, our family. He's really good at it. I'm terrible at it. I just yell a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably not terrible not at it. Not the answer she was looking not for. <laughs> she was looking for. Okay, let's move on. Answer <laughs> <laughs> the question. You'll do so much better at it than I am. Well, I, I think just like we've talked, you know, they've just got to find a way to where they operate, you know, and I think it depends on the horses. And But if they're not, they have to find a way to communicate with their horse, mm-hmm. right? Because it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't do me any good to have this horse tuned to be as good as he can be if you can't run the pedals. I think that's one thing I've learned with non-pro horses is they don't have to be as tuned as the open horses. And I think I like think I need to spend a lot of time on them and ride them and get them that way. But really it's best if you just kind of leave them at this level and kind of medium space here rather than try to make them rise to this level because they're gonna drop to this level. And then you're just going to have to fight to make them rise to this level again, and it's just going to be a constant battle. Mm-hmm. But if you can just let them kind of hang out right here, everybody happy. <laughs> we like everybody happy. Everybody, yeah. I, I ran into that, and I talked to Jim Lane the other day, but he taught me a lot about coaching non-pros because my care factor was real high in those days. And he had this really nice little mare, and I really liked her. And I worked this mare all week, and I mean, got her feeling just how I want to. And then he'll show up on Saturday and, well, she don't operate for him, and I'm yelling at him, and he's mad she ain't operating for him, and she's mad that he can't operate her, and I'm <laughs> mad that he can't operate her, and that he's making this thing, and I'm thinking about all the work I'm going to have to do to fix it this week. 
And finally, I was like, you know, Jim, why don't you just take this thing home and ride it and come up here two or three days a week for a lesson? And this might not be good for the industry, but it helped so much because he just had to figure out how to operate it. It wasn't going to be there. And then he could come up and we could actually do a lesson and he could improve and they could, and I could help him with his communication with her and we can move on like that. And then we went on and he started doing real good on that horse. And that was a big learning moment for me as far as the non-pro coaching goes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that really answers the question that you were after, but it's, you've got to find a way I think for them to be able to operate. So that movie was called Forgetting Sarah Marshall anybody wants to youtube that part just say surfboard forgetting sarah marshall it comes right up i use it quite a bit actually yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think chris that um that's really good advice because i think sometimes we trainers don't want someone to mess up the horse right but then they're like there's no well there's no connection there Mm-hmm. And, and number one, that's one of the reasons why they ride the horses is because they want the connection. Yeah, trying and, to figure out how to make that connection is tricky. Yeah, it is. It is. Especially when the person has to learn three events as well. Um, I think it's trickier trying to compete as a non-pro in this event because you're riding half the time, but you've got to learn all three events. And so that makes it really I difficult. think the younger... The younger the horse, too, I mean, three-year-olds and even four- and five-year-olds, you're running them in a snaffle. So you got both hands, both feet. you got to figure out how to operate. Besides, do the pattern, work the cow, do whatever. So, I mean, my thought is that the younger the horse is, the more they need to ride it. You know, because like a bridle horse, well, that horse is pretty solid. And they can kind of come out and... You know, if they can come out once a month and get a little lesson, it's going to be fine. They can show up to the horse show and get on there and go. Those younger horses, I really have a theory that if they can't ride, I like them if they can ride three days a week. That's really my minimum if you're going to have a three- or four-year-old kind of a snaffle bit horse. Or, wow. Or never. Chris. Or never. Right? Or you need to get on when they call your name. Like, have your practice horse come out and get a lesson, and then... I'll have it ready, and when they call your name to walk in the pen, you're going to get on this one and walk down there because we can fool them for two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. But we want to show up and practice the day before the horse show. It's all gone, mm-hmm. you know. So if they can, I mean, that's just that. That in my perfect world, if that's what it would be, they would ride three days a week, mm-hmm. or not at all. What about you, Sarah? I concur. Yeah, no <laughs> sense. Sounds good to me. Uh huh. We don't do a whole lot of non-pros though. Like we've got. Two, three, three in the barn right now. Yeah. And they both, they come mm-hmm. come two, they yeah. come two days a week usually. I One mean, guy's out of state, so he'll come less frequent, but more days in a row when he does mm-hmm. come. Um, and he's got a bridle horse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That probably helps, huh? Yeah. But yeah, we don't have a huge non-pro program. What do you guys do when you're not doing this? When Frank is that? Frank horse. <laughs> I'll we come you, to the I'll, cutting. I'll give you my talk to you. <laughs> I'll give you my calendar, and you can fill in the days if you want. <laughs> I usually try and do podcasts with this guy, but he, as he, to his frustration, we haven't done much of that lately either. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Yeah. No, we we don't get away very often, um, and now, especially with Hadley, it's very difficult to get away with her. So we just mm-hmm. when when we have a day off, we like to stay home and mm-hmm. do a little bit of nothing. Uh huh. I don't know a lot of fraternity trainers that have, I mean, you'll hear them talk about their hobbies, 
But I don't know that I know. I mean, like I say, I think I think those are mythical. Yeah. Because I think that if you want to really be a fraternity horse trainer, your hobby needs to be riding three-year-olds. Yes. Yes. You know, I mean, and not that I don't know that it uh, is necessarily makes for the most balanced lifestyle, but I don't think that I don't know that that's a that's really a thing. Yeah. You have to really love it so that it's okay. Yeah. 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 You really do. Yeah. You have to really have a great, great passion for it. I told a guy he wanted his son to come to work for me and I was hesitant to do it. And he said, why why are you so hesitant to hire my son? I said, said, you think he's doing a good job? Yeah, I know he's doing a really good job. I love him. He's a good friend of mine, this and that. Like two things. One, that he's a good friend of mine. And second is fishing. He loves to fish. Uh Uh-huh. Mike, don't nobody train three-year-olds that loves to fish? I mean, (laughs) or maybe they do, but I don't know about it. But But they don't get to. Right? Well, that's it. Uh Uh-huh. So. Uh Uh-huh. We bought kayaks two years ago. <laughs> They've never been in the water. <laughs> never been in the water. <laughs> ben Baldus took us kayaking one day. We fell in love with the event. Uh-huh. Bought kayaks on Facebook, and they've never been wet. Spent like $1,200 on these kayaks and never used there them. There they sat. I've got a motorcycle that sits in the garage that I've, uh-huh. that I've fixed up two years ago. Yeah. And I... Uh, took it for one ride. Didn't even take it for a ride. We, rented, we rented uh-huh. a bike to go on that ride. Oh, wow. I don't think I don't even know it ever started it. Now I have two motorcycles that I don't ride. <laughs> yeah. Two motorcycles and two kayaks. Two, co- two motorcycles, two kayaks. Uh-huh. One. Times get tough, we uh, can sell them. Yep, half a fishing pole <laughs> with no string on it. Now I've got a roll of string that I was going to put on it. Uh-huh. Also bought I two years I ago. I oh, Such a little anti-clutterer. I know. How many assistants do you guys have that help you? Three. Three. Three assistants, three gentlemen that help us clean stalls and feed horses. So eight little people running around down there every day. That's a lot. And who does the books and the... I do. You do? Nobody touches my books but me. (laughs) Good. (laughs) And who runs the barn, Chris? Sarah. I would say our assistants run the barn. Yeah, (laughs) Stefan. Stephen, Kaylin, Cole, they got handled. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We spend most of the time in the arena. And how is, so when you're out there riding, do you um, invite each other to watch each other's horse so if you want something, or do you just kind of naturally it's, it's watch? It's natural. I mean, once like, in a while, if someone's busy and you know they're not watching you and you need them to watch you, say, hey, watch me. Uh-huh. Watch me whip. <laughs> But no. And if you feel like you're getting ignored a lot, you just start singing the Kokomo song. Bermuda, Bahama, Kama. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I feel like I'm on an island here, people. <laughs> no, it's, it's very informal. Yeah. I yeah. would say, yeah. yeah. So you guys are just kind of watching each other and you'll say, what about this or what about that? Most of the time we're not watching each other because we're busy doing our own thing. But when we do watch each other, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cutting. Chris always thinks I'm watching him. He'll always ask, "How is that?" I'm like, "I don't know. I wasn't watching. I was literally in the other arena." That happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't notice you weren't in here. Right. How did that yeah. look? Oh goodness. <laughs> do you guys? Uh, are you are you guys going to have cutting for charity horses that are not rain that are not snaffle bit? He does. 
Yeah, he has two cutters. He's had two cutters for the last like, four years now. Mm-hmm, yeah, so, yeah. I you wouldn't know it looking at the books, but. <laughs> I'm waiting for the NCHA to develop a division for me. Slight shout out to whoever's in charge of that. But yeah, once they. What, was the, what would the division be? Uh, someone who hasn't won very much money. That there would, is it. That Athlete. would be me. There is a limited. What's the What's the cutoff? Um, I'm not Two, sure. Two hundred lifetime. That's now, I a think. lot of money. I'm yeah. looking for like the fifteen thousand lifetime earnings. Sarah wants everybody to have a level one for her to come up through. Well, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. So, how do you pick the horses that are cutters, Chris? The one that don't make the cow horses. <laughs> <laughs> accurate information actually uh-huh. that has been pretty accurate now uh-huh. we get a kick out of it because for years you would get phone calls like hey this thing's almost cutting i think it might snap a bit for you well as since we moved back here to fort worth and people have gotten a little better feel of what we're doing those calls have slowed down no really that has been what we've done with them is you know something that doesn't look great you know, yeah, I was going to say, is it like it, it doesn't rain very well would right. be like yeah. the main thing. That's it. Uh-huh. Yeah, because our raining, I mean, they have to be, I mean, we have two cow events. As much as I hate to say it, we do have to work on that raining a significant amount because it's the one event we have with no variables. And mm-hmm. so if you're not, if you don't feel like you can go mark a three or four in the raining, you probably don't need to enter. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and that needs to be pretty easy for them. Mm-hmm. And so if that's not the case. It probably needs to have another job or at least be shown in a different division. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this year, this year I do have one that is sure enough bred to be a cutter. And so I'm pretty excited about her. Um, she's accounting checks out of Quentin Blue. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So I'm pretty stoked about that. See how that goes. Yeah. It's how she doing. Yeah. Doing well. Uh-huh. Yep, yeah. I guess summertime. We're just working along. Uh-huh. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, we start I think I'll start hauling her pre works next week. So Wow. Yeah. That should be a good one. Yeah. But we've had like I said, we've had we've done okay. Shoot, we've I've sold one. I've had I had one gal make the unlimited amateur finals a couple of years ago. That was my first fraternity finalist at the NCHA. So Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah thanks. Congratulations. Yeah, and then Cass Tatum um just won the limited four year old, I think it was a four year old, on Sherry, so on Sherry on a different horse. Uh-huh. But for that, for Sherry Wolfenberger, uh-huh. she'd bought that horse from us. Uh-huh. I know Sherry. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, yeah, no, that was fun. And I made the limited finals here in the Derby one year. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah, no, it's been, like I say, it's always, always challenging cracking yes. that new event. Yes, it is. And like I say, having that, that whole ego creeps back up, you know, like what's that guy think? Oh, there's a cow horse guy. You know, you can hear all the voices when you walk down there. So... I yeah. saw a bunch of our cow horse comrades were here in the limited Derby and Classic this week. There was they a ton were. of them. Kaylee Wilson, Sean Hayes, Kelby Phillips. Bergen. Yep, Todd Bergen was here. Yep. So there's a there was a bunch of them that limited. Like I say I wasn't. I'm not sure what the format even was for this deal with the this where it was separated out. Uh-huh. I thought that was interesting. You but. could definitely do that, Sarah. Did any of the cow horse comrades make the finals? Mm-hmm. Yep. They did. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Sean. Sean made the limited oh, finals. Right. Yeah, made the finals. Kelby, I think, made the finals. Kaylee made the finals. Kaylee was mm-hmm. 19. Sean was an 18. You guys trying to take over here? What's going on here? I would still appreciate a division. She would like a blonde <laughs> homeschooler division. I would take it. <laughs> sure would. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. 
for coming. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks, Chris, for joining in our conversation. I I, I tried to anything without you. I tried to stay home. Again, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Or it is a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Really, really fun. Thank you for listening to the Barbara Schulte Show. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Instagram and like our Facebook page.